You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for your generosity and giving, and it's good to see you today. Uh, My name is Bill. If you're a guest, I would love to meet you following our time. I will be right down front. Please come and introduce yourself to me. And I'd love to hear a little bit about you and share whatever you'd like to know about us. So, uh, and if you're watching on live stream, thank you so much today for tuning in that way and share that with others so they can also be with us. If you can't be here in body, at least be here this way too. Um, We're going through the gospel of Mark as we uh, begin the year and head up through Easter. We're taking a chapter a week. And if you want to follow along in your own personal devotions, we are providing uh, some devotional thoughts for you in our Riverside Church app. So if you've downloaded the app, you can follow along and do some daily devotions through that also. And hopefully we can all refresh ourselves with the story of Christ and the message of Christ as Mark has told it, and um, and all be better as a result of that. Today we're we're going in the fourth week, and we kind of divided it into four segments of, Max, uh, of Mark's gospel. The first is about how uh, Jesus was calling people to follow him, and to uh, he started to teach them about the, how the kingdom of God was here, and calling people to follow after him and believe him. And, and he goes into uh, shifting, talk about convincing them about the ways of the kingdom of God. Because his message was all about was always about the kingdom of God. And how God is restoring what the kingdom of God is, God's restoration of his rule and reign on earth and in people's lives. It's available for anyone who would, what Jesus called them to repent or to rethink their ways and believe and to follow him. In the the story of Mark's gospel, he begins to convince them uh, by proving his power over evil spirits, over sicknesses, diseases, and his authoritative take teaching was so powerful that people would leave everything to follow him when he would call them. And so in these few chapters, through parables and stories in the next few chapters, Jesus teaches them about the ways of the kingdom of God and how not everybody gets it. Not everybody's able to to perceive it. For whatever reason, it goes in one ear and out the other. And he starts to talk to them about how important it is for them to perceive what Jesus is saying so that they can get it and they can be changed as a result of it. Because those who get it, those who perceive this idea of what the kingdom is and how Jesus brought that and how he demonstrated it and his teaching about when you gain insight about that, your life takes on a whole different dimension. And it's, it's, it's hard to understand for those who don't get it, but for those who get it, you realize life is no longer going to be the same again because I understand that, that, that my meaning of life is so much greater. So, so I want us to take a look. We're in Mark chapter 4, and we're going to dive deep into the first parable that Jesus tells in Mark's gospel. So if you have your scripture, you're welcome to turn there, but follow along as, as we begin to take a look at that. Mark writes, Jesus began to teach by the lake or by the Sea of Galilee. The crowd gathered around and was so large, he got into a boat and he went out on the lake 
And all the people were standing on the shore as Jesus was using the boat to be able to project his voice to, and the lake to project his voice to the crowd that was there. And he taught them, it says, Mark says, many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said the following. Listen. Uh, Now let's not bypass that. Listen. Because that's very important. He starts with listen. And then he goes to tell the story, the parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, but the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. And then other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they didn't bear grain. But still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up, and it grew, and it produced a crop, some multiplying 30, 60, and 100 times. And then Jesus said again, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Are your ears tuned in today? Do you have ears to hear what Jesus wants to say through his scripture today? Let's just pray real quickly. Lord, that's what we ask right now, that we would tune our ears, not to the voice of Pastor Bill, but to the voice of the Spirit as you inspire your word. And as the message today is proclaimed, let it sink deep into our hearts. So give us willing ears and receptive hearts. Amen. Amen. You know, when I read this parable about gardening, uh, it makes me think of a memory I have of an interaction I had with my father years ago. Now, I do not have a green thumb. I am not a gardener. Uh, but my dad, after we graduated and moved out of the house uh, years ago, my sister, brother, and I uh, turned our playground, which was our backyard, a small little backyard, and, and he turned it into a garden. And it started just a little garden at first, but then uh, it just grew over the years. Uh, and, I, and I thought it was kind of nice that my dad in his retirement years was able to do something that was interesting to him and, and exercise. But I went over, uh, you know, this is probably 10, 20 years after we had left home. So he's in his 70s. And didn't know it at the time. This was probably a couple years before he had a massive heart attack and almost died. But... I went over to visit him, and he's sitting on the back porch on a spring day, and it's hot outside. My dad, in his mid-70s, is, is uh, tilling the ground with a rototiller. And he's sweating profusely, and he's breathing deeply. He was a smoker his whole life. And, and I'm sitting there talking to my dad. I said, Dad, why do you do this? You don't need to go out and grow your food. You can go to the grocery and buy your food. You have enough of an income to be able to do that. And in a very rare moment of vulnerability, my dad opened a window that I hadn't seen. My dad's of the generation where men don't share their feelings very, very readily. And, and I can't probably remember a time I knew our dad loved us dearly, uh, and he demonstrated all the time, but, but he never would say, I love you. In fact, I think I was in college before I was able to say, I love you, Dad, and here I love you back. And here now, years later, uh, I asked him that question, and, 
As he's tilling the soil, what I didn't realize is there's something deeper going on inside his heart. And he said something to me because he grew up on a, on a family farm out in Washington County. And when he was young, working the farm. And he said, Bill, you don't understand. He said, when I'm out there working in the garden, I feel my mom and dad right there with me. And they had been long deceased at that point. And I thought, that's rich. That's rich. My dad has a soft heart. (laughs) And he let me know that. And there was a seed planted in his heart years ago when he was a kid that was continuing to develop fruit in his soul years later as he was doing the act of gardening. And this parable that Jesus talks about is really about the condition of one's heart. How fertile is your heart to receive what God has for you to receive? Because the condition of your heart makes all the difference in the capacity of your life to thrive and to be fruitful. And there are moments, I believe, in everybody's life where the conditions of their heart are ripe for God to just drop a seed in that just sinks deeply in their heart and gets, gets wedged in there and it germinates and it grows. And that seed thought from the spirit that takes root and grows really can change a life and help a life to be a flourishing life. And so for some really who are listening to my voice right now, you that are here, who are listening on podcast or the video feed, It might go in one ear and out the other. You just won't hear a thing I'm saying. But others, it might inspire you momentarily and might say, well, that was really good to hear, but it'll be soon forgotten. And others, it might make a difference in a day or two, but but life goes on and you'll... But some might be here right now and, and, and this seed of the gospel of Jesus can change your life. I was 15 years old whenever I really first heard the good news which, which is what the gospel means, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I can't imagine, had I not been ready at that vulnerable stage of my life, I can't imagine how different my life would have turned out had I not been receptive to that at that time. And so we pray for ears to hear and hearts to be soft and for the seed to sink deeply and take root. And I have to begin, are you ready to listen? Are your ears tuned in? Not to me, but are you ready to listen with your heart? Listen with the the ears of your spirit today. Because Mark begins by saying that Jesus says, listen. And then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And in fact, after Jesus goes on to explain the meaning of the parable to his disciples, he goes on later on in chapter four. And this is what he says. He says, pay close attention to what you hear. Because the closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given and you'll receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And I I look at that and I'm thinking, you know what, this is kind of like the voice of the Spirit grows the more you tune into it. And, and, it, and it's kind of like learning math. If you don't learn how to add and subtract and multiply and divide, you're not going to be able to learn algebra. And if you can't learn algebra, everything grows on the learning that you have. 
And Jesus is saying, if you can hear and it lodges, then you can, God can build upon that. But if you can't listen, then God can't build upon that in your life. And so the ability to stay tuned in to the voice of the Spirit will grow exponentially in your life. Results will grow even greater as you tune into that in your lifetime. Your life will flourish to the degree, to the degree that you open your mind and your heart to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the better you are at listening with your heart, the more you're going to be able to flourish. And so the point really today is simple. It's this. A fertile heart will make for a flourishing life. Is your heart fertile? Is your heart fertile? Are you, are you open? And, and if it is, what, was a, what does a flourishing life look like? I felt like I needed to define. What is a flourishing life? How would you define that? I think a flourishing life at least has two elements. One is a, a person whose life is flourishing is at peace with who they are, of who God made them to be. They're comfortable in their own skin. They're secure in God's unconditional love. And out of that sense of, I know that other people might not like me, but I know there's one who knows me best and loves me most. That that's the basis for a fertile life is being secure in God's love. And then I think the other part of a flourishing life is a person who's engaged in a worthy cause. They're, they're, they're engaged in a worthy mission that they're involved in saying, okay, God, here's who I am. Here's who you made me. How can I do something to help make the world a better place? So that's my definition of what I think a flourishing life is. And so what would that look like for you? What would that look like for me? How does that look? In the parable here, Jesus, Jesus talks about four different heart conditions. Let's just take a, a little walk through those four conditions and ask, what does he mean by that? And the first heart condition he talks about is a hard heart, a hard heart. He goes on and he explains the parable to his disciples. Verse 15 of chapter 4, he says, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes away the word that was sown in them. In the parable, he says, it's the seed sown along the path, the path that's trampled down, it's beaten down, it's hard. So the seed can't take root and the birds come and take it away. The person who hears, but their heart is so hard they, that, the, that God's good news can't get underneath it. It can't get through to it. And the evil one just snatches it away. So I got to ask the question, what makes a person's hard, heart hard? And I, I'm sure there are a lot of reasons, but maybe we can summarize it by saying it gets trampled on. It gets trampled on by others. Other people trample on your heart. You ever had your heart trampled on before? Yeah. Uh, you know what that's like. Hurt from other people. Painful experiences. Disappointments. Hurt. Bitterness. Causes calluses to develop over your heart. I might love you and I might feel love, but then you hurt me. It makes me put up a little wall here. It makes me protect. But it's all about protecting your heart from hurt that it grows hard. Sometimes the hardness comes from the hurt caused by others, but I mean, let's be honest, sometimes it happens because of our own self-inflicted wounds, right? I mean, we do things 
that we know we shouldn't do. We want to avoid God and protect ourselves because we don't want to hear God. So like, like Adam in the garden, we hide from God. We grow little protective walls up between ourselves and God because we're afraid of what God might say or do to us. And it's a really warped understanding of what God is like, but that happens. And so we do these things and we grow more and more selfish. And so immorality and corruption, depravity, let's just be real. Sin can harden your heart and a hardened heart can be consumed by sin. It goes both ways. It becomes impenetrable. We become oblivious to God's voice. And when we do that, I believe the enemy just has free reign in our lives. And you know what? It can happen at any time. This parable isn't just about one time in your life. Uh, I think that God's word comes to us all the time. And the condition of your heart is going to determine what happens with that. So at times... Our hearts can take on any one of these four heart conditions. And sometimes we go from one to the other in a short period of time. But when other people hurt you and they malign you, abuse you, misuse you, gossip about you, slander you, attack you, your natural response is to put up walls to harden your heart. And sometimes if you do that too much, you can put a wall between yourself and God. Because you want to lash back, you want to recoil, you want to put up that shield and protect yourself from attack. So whether you do this, how you do this will, will determine the hurt that you keep playing back in your mind. You keep going over those same things and as you harbor those images of those words, if you don't allow the voice of the Spirit, the good news of God, to get in there and trump those voices then you're not going to find the healing from the hurt that's there. And so that's the first condition. It's that hardened heart that's caused by self-inflicted hurt or hurt by others. It gets trampled on. Then the other heart condition he goes on to is the shallow heart. He, he explains it this way. He says, others like seeds sown on the rocky places, they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but... Since they don't have any root, they only last a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. So this person is a person that hears it, it, it sinks in, but troubles come and uh, they quickly turn away. Why do people do this? Why, why do people so easily turn away from God's voice? And I, I kind of think that it happens because uh, we're more like fans with God. You know, when things are going great, yay God. When everything's going for us, you're wonderful God. When we get what we want and things, people like us and life is smooth, God, praise God, you're the best. But as soon as things go bad, God, what's wrong with you? God, where are you? I mean, it's kind of like Pittsburgh sports fans, right? You know, when they're winning, when they're doing great, we're all excited. But as soon as they just go south, it's like, fire the coach. Pay these players more money. Hire, you know, it's like we're, we're the first to jump on, on, on the teams that we so want to win. And we do that to God when we feel like our life isn't winning. And 
I think what happens too a lot of times is, uh, you know, when you're a new Christian, when you're a new believer, if you came to Christ at a later in your life, you it's like everything is new. Your life is new. Your life is free. You sense God's word for the first time. It makes no sense. It's exciting. And, uh, you know, you pray and you see answers to your prayers. And I think God allows that to happen to us for a, a period of time to help build our faith. But there comes a time in every person's life when that faith will be tested. When life turns on an instant, when something happens that comes out of nowhere, or maybe, maybe you lose faith in somebody else and it causes you to lose faith in God, and all of a sudden you're wondering, what's it all for? Because, I mean, I thought God was my sugar daddy that was supposed to give me everything I want. If I just pull the right strings and push the right buttons, then I can make God give me whatever I want. And whenever I do the pull the strings and push the buttons that they tell me to do and it doesn't happen, then God must be to blame. And that kind of faith is all so self-centered and self-selfish, self-focused. I think we sometimes look at God like we look at our parents. You know, when you're young, uh, sometimes you think your parents can do no wrong. And then when you become a teenager, you think your parents can do no right, you know, because you don't get what you want. And we think, well, when God doesn't give us what we want, then faith or God is to blame, and we lose our faith because we, we don't have the roots to handle the droughts, to handle the dry times, to handle those times when we just don't feel the newness of our faith any longer. I've heard that message. I've heard those songs. Ah, you know, the good old days were better than these days. You know, we kind of put on these rose-colored glasses of faith in the olden days was better than the faith in these days. And we grow old in our faith and, and uh, it causes us to become more shallow even as we become more older and more mature in our age and our years. When we don't have deep roots... When times of testing comes, we wither, we die. And I don't want that. If you're only fed in your faith when you get together on a Sunday, when you come together for corporate worship, which is awesome and it's essential and necessary, then, then you're going to starve because life drains us. Life drains us. So we need to find practices that we do on a daily basis, quiet time, reflection, prayer, just thinking about, reflecting on life, um, having an attitude, a practice of gratitude, maybe doing small little acts of kindness, whatever it is to help you to feed your soul, it's essential to do that. And I think the older we go in our faith, the more essential that becomes. So, so, we can't just have emotional lifts. We can't just have a head knowledge. I think there really needs to be hearts that are soft and fertile to be able to hear the voice of God. Because at any time in life, we can go through those droughts. I've gone through them. 
Anybody else? Have you gone through those droughts? Yeah. Maybe you're here today and this is happening to you because of whatever circumstances you're facing. So, so we talk about that and, and, and there's the hard heart, there's the shallow heart. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the distracted heart. He says, still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth, desires for other things, come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. So this is the person that listens to the voice. They hear it with good intentions, but, but other things just drown it out. Now, I don't have a green thumb. I'm not a gardener, but I do have a yard. And I'm always amazed at how much faster weeds grow than plants. Right? I don't know why it is. I think it's just the curse of uh, the original sin. You know, it's like the weeds just grow up so quickly. Plants grow up so much more slowly. And if you don't stay on top of those weeds, they will take over. They will take over. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. The weeds that, that overshadow the, the, the so many other voices in life that can just drown out the voice of God's spirit in your life. And in fact, singles out three things. He talks about worry and how worries distract us. Jesus uh, elsewhere in Matthew's gospel says, don't worry about tomorrow. Every day has enough worries of its own. Take care of what's in front of you today because tomorrow has enough worries of itself. So seek first his kingdom, seek first his righteousness and let everything else fall into line. The Lord knows we have enough stuff to distract us, enough worries, right? Uh, I, I mean, I think News outlets and social media are worry factories. I mean, they just pump worry into our world. Emails, text messages, updates. It's like, man, we have so much news and so many voices coming at us. And all of it is, and, and not all of it intended, but it's, so much of it is intended to evoke concern and worry in our lives. They're just worry factories. He talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth can distract us. In fact, I would say the greater your disposable income, the more you have to dis be distracted from the simple, still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe that. I believe that. Jesus said that it was true. He said it's much harder for uh, uh, the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven than it is for the poor because they have too many other things to occupy and preoccupy them. You know, there's studies that are done, and I, I, I referred to a study that's, that, that was measuring happiness quotient in people's lives, and does money really make people happy? And the answer to that is yes and no. <clears throat> Up to a certain point, having enough money to, to pay for your bills, to provide you uh, food and a roof over your head and clothes on your back and the basic necessities of life, that will make you happier than if you don't have those things. But once you reach a certain level of comfort, the more you have makes no difference in your happiness level. 
And in fact, in many instances, it makes you less happy because you have more things to worry about. And the money that you think you can manage all of a sudden becomes managing you. And you'll spend more time checking out the stock market than you will checking out God's word. You'll be spending more time worrying about what to do next because you have to do this because you have the ability to do it than taking time to just listen to the still small voice of God. And so riches in and of themselves are not evil, but Jesus said it's the love of them. It's the control that they can have. And that's why Jesus said we can't serve both God and money because money becomes a controlling power in one's life. And so worries can distract us, wealth can distract us, and then our wants can distract us. So when I think of wants today, I'm thinking of all the entertainment options that we have that can so easily distract us. And, you know, I think I suffer from adult ADD because there's so many things that I want to do. I want to watch this. I want to read that. I want to do that. And it's almost like the wants. I don't need to hear any of that stuff. But the want of all of that just says, oh, I can't wait to do this. I can't. And it makes me more busy than I need to be. We have more options to be entertained than ever. I find it interesting that in Jesus' day, he's saying how, how busyness and 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 uh, and, and, and uh, worry distracts us. And I'm thinking, if wealth was an issue back in those days, could you imagine if somebody in Jesus' day were just miraculously transported in time and woke up in our day and age? Comparatively, the level of comfort that we have and ease and food availability and transportation availability and communications of it. I mean, they would think they've died and gone to heaven. And if it was an issue in their day, how much more is it an issue for us in our day to have the things of wealth and the things of busyness to distract us from God? So a hard heart shallow heart and a distracted heart. But then Jesus went on to talk about the fourth condition. And I call this the fertile heart, the expectant heart, the open heart, the receptive heart. Others, he said, like seeds sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and it produces a crop. 30, 60, 100 times more. And so I think a person with an expectant heart, with a fertile heart, they look for those God moments. They listen to God's spirit. They're open and ready for God to do something in them and through them. They, they, they tune in to scripture. They talk to God. They respond to the, to the still small voice of the spirit. And I'm convinced that there is there is no telling what God can do through a heart that's fully surrendered to him. God's looking for fertile soil, fertile hearts. What's interesting, as you look at this parable, the sower is casting seed everywhere. It's falling on everything. In other words, it's not a matter of, is God wanting to feed us? It's all about how fertile we are, 
how soft we are. Is the soil that my dad was turning over fertile enough for the seeds to be planted and grow up his corn and his vegetables? Is your heart soft enough for God's voice to get inside that it's going to produce some fruit in your life? And that fruit's going to make a difference in the world around you. It's all about the readiness of the soil. And that's why I say a fertile heart makes for a flourishing life. So I'm going to ask the band to come. And we're going to pray in just a few minutes. And we'll sing a song. And if you want somebody to pray with you, you can do that. But, but I want to ask the question, what, what would it look like for you if your heart was just a little more fertile than it is now? Maybe as we went over these, you're thinking, well, what is the condition of my heart? Because I think every one of us today can identify right now one of those types, four types of soil, right? Is your heart hard today? Has it been trampled? Are you in danger of putting a protective wall up between you and God? Is it shallow? Or are you just kind of riding a wave of emotion with God? And things are going well, but you're, you're not prepared for the tough times that might be coming your way. Is your life so busy and so distracted that you have no time to listen and no sense of God working in your life these days? Or, or are you like, God, man, I just can't wait because I know that you want to work in me and you want to work through me. And I'm hungry for you, God. What if you were hungrier for God? What if your heart was softer for God? What do you think God could do in you? What do you think God could do through? What if we were all fertile soil for what the Spirit of God could do? Could you imagine the difference collectively we would make if we all were that way? There's no telling what God could do through us if we were fertile before God. And so I want you to ask yourself, just do some honest self-assessment in this last moment. Will you do that? Can we close your eyes with me? I'm just going to have a little conversation, me and you, me and you. Honestly, how would you rate the condition of your heart right now? Which of these types of soil would you say is your heart condition at this moment. And you know what? It can be different tomorrow. It can change. And I think that all of us go back and forth to some of these. But right now, how would you assess the condition of your heart? And then I want to ask you to think, what is one thing that you can do this week to soften your heart to the Holy Spirit. Or perhaps one thing you can stop doing this week to soften your heart to the Holy Spirit. Just one thing, one thing to soften your heart, to start doing or to stop doing. What is that thing? What is that thing? And can you say, God, I want to I I ask you to help me 
to do that just this week. Just this week. I want to practice that one thing that's going to help me to have a softer heart, to hear the still, small voice of the Spirit in my life. One thing I need to stop doing. For me, and I'm asking you to hold me accountable to this. For me, I I need to, when I wake up in the morning, stop turning the news on first. Uh, that's me. That's me. You can do whatever you want to do, but I'm going to stop turning the news on, and I'm going to—I'm I, I, not going to listen to the headlines until I listen to the heart lines. I'm not going to listen to the bad news until I listen to the good news first. And I want to take some time to be silent, maybe read some scripture or read a good book that feeds my soul before I listen to the headlines. That's what I'm going to do. Because I need that. What are you going to do? God, we want to be that fertile soil that the good news of Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, ruling and reigning in our life, and then through us, helping to expand and extend your kingdom here on earth, that loving, forgiving, merciful, graceful, inclusive kingdom. Help us to be a part of that. But make our hearts fertile so that we can flourish in life for your glory and for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.